If you have a Bible or a device, we are going to be looking at Romans 12 and then a few other places. I know it's hot. Um, those of you who are in person, so I don't know, I'll keep this to like 40 minutes or something. I'm joking. Sermon length jokes, they're the worst occupational hazard. But I uh, would love to welcome you, uh, those of you who are here um, present with us, but then also those of you who are at home. It's great to, it's great to be able to yeah, to serve you in this way and to be looking at God's word together. So let's pray and then we'll get into this morning's text. God, you are the God who is with us. You are good to us. And I pray that, that you would speak and that we would have ears to hear, encourage us and shape us through your word and through your commitment to speaking to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to continue the conversation that was began last week uh, when Beth and I were up here talking about really this need to learn how to be together again as we are moving toward seeing each other more regularly, that there really is this, this thing that we need to relearn how to do, and that is to be together. Uh, and we looked at Romans 12 as a text of offering sort of this vision of, I think, what, what is possible when relationships are formed around Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul's vision of community, of, of what it looks like to be a people gathered because Christ is risen and that we are his people of the resurrection. And so I think the beauty of this text, as Beth really, I think, beautifully shared with us, is how active the text is. You know, she was describing that there are so many verbs in this text that suggests community, that building um, a community together is something that we, we do. It is not, does not happen by being passive, but actually happens by being, by being very specific and taking action. It doesn't happen by being apathetic, but by actually pursuing genuine love. I mean, we see this in the text in Romans 12, that our relationships will be marked by genuine love, by zeal, by being hospitable, by welcoming the stranger, by having sort of some sense of emotion together, by loving our enemies. It's not defined by disconnection, but actual connection. Not by isolation, but by being together. One another is the language that's used in Romans 12. This idea of, of having harmony together is how, the, how Romans 12 speaks of it. And so as I think about this idea of belonging together, which is what we said was a, a way forward together, is we really want to press into our belonging together. And as I think about Romans 12, what I think of, what comes to mind is the idea of friendship. That perhaps what we're needing to recover, not just societally, but certainly as a church too, and I'm talking about capital C Church, broad church, is this idea of, of friendship, of Christian friendship. Some might call it spiritual friendship, friendships that's actually formed that's because Christ is at the center but what would it look like if we thought of ourselves as a community that was like a family of friends? Now, why I like the idea of friendship and kind of recovering that word is because we need to relearn, I think, even as Christians, what a friendship actually is. What does it mean to be a friend? Because usually we think of, well, I'm friends with those I think like. I'm friends with those that have common interests. We do the same things together. And while those things are certainly true and part of friendship, as we think about it in Christian terms, it actually transcends any sort of, of commonality or of social, political um, it, it, of interests or likes or dislikes. It transcends that 
We are friends because God has made it so through Jesus Christ. You know, it's no secret, and psychologists, social scientists speak about this all the time, is that, yes, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but there's also been an epidemic going on for so long, and that is the epidemic of loneliness. That we are a culture that is lonely. But we've never been more connected. Connected. So what is going on there? How is it possible that we are still lonely when we've never had more possibilities for connection than in 2021? How is that possible? So if we think about relationships that actually combat loneliness and isolation, these are relationships where one feels known and understood and where you are knowing and understanding others. And I think that we live in a time when so much is at work to help us not be known, to help us not be understood. And so Romans 12 speaks of this community of friends where we are actively engaging one another, moving toward the other, where we can actually have relationships where we know one another and where we understand one another. There's a real loss of friendship. Gregory Boyle says there's a real loss of kinship. This idea of mutuality, of a giving and a taking, that it's reciprocal, that relationships formed around Jesus, there's a sense of reciprocity, and it's, it's like an ever-going and ongoing dance together where our source is not simply one another or where I'm getting my own needs met, but it's because of Jesus and what he makes possible. And so I'd like to think about and talk about this idea of friendship, spiritual friendship, Christian friendship, and the Christian life. Eugene Peterson says this, friendship is a much underestimated aspect of spirituality. It's every bit as significant as prayer and fasting. Like the sacramental use of water and bread and wine, friendship takes what's common in human experience and turns it into something holy. Have you ever experienced that, where you found yourself surprised because you are connected with others, in particular Christians, where you all of a sudden had a moment that surprised you because of its holiness, where it just wasn't a meal anymore, but something else was going on that you can't quite put your finger on? And I'd like to suggest that's because Jesus is at the center of those relationships, and it is Jesus that makes it possible. So I'd like for you to turn to John chapter 15, and I want to look at a couple of verses there, because I think that the Apostle Paul is actually drawing some of what he's saying in Romans 12 from John chapter 15. And he's, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says this in, in verse 12 of 15, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one is greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not cho choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love 
one another. See, there's this shift in the relationship that Jesus is making to his disciples. I no longer call you servants, he says, but what? I call you friends. I mean, that's a a really profound word that Jesus used to talk about the type of relationship that he wants to have with his disciples, with those who are learning from Jesus, from us and with us, a relationship based on friendship. But what's also key is that Jesus calls a group these disciples' friends. So what brings these friends together isn't that they were so like, connected at the hip or they had common interests because, of course, there was both a tax collector and an anarchist who were part of Jesus' disciples. Somebody who worked for the government, somebody who wanted to overthrow the government. How is it possible that these two people could be connected because Jesus calls them friends. And if Jesus calls them friends, then that all of a sudden makes their relationship by definition different. It makes friendship between them possible. Not based on, again, common interests or pursuits. It's not about what they have in common, but it's about Jesus having them in common. When we think about spiritual friendship, when we think about Christian friendship, that's what we're thinking about. And that is true for us. As we think about the type of community, of people, of belonging together that Jesus is wanting to make possible, this is the very basis of it, that Jesus has called us friends. This is more than just tolerating each other. Now, I want to raise your hands. How much? No, no, don't raise your hand. I'm kidding. How many of you here present, those of you who are watching from home, have felt like you've just tolerated the church? Tolerated the church. Jesus is talking about something so much more beautiful, so much more wonderful than just tolerating one another, but actually cultivating relationship, being committed to one another as a friend would to another. And again, what makes this possible, and I'm going to say it over and over and over again, is not our ability to like each other, but what makes it possible is because Jesus has called us friends first. We are no longer his servants, but his friends. And so this has got me thinking, and I've been very challenged by this, who might Jesus consider a friend that I just do not have the imagination to consider in the same way? Who might Jesus consider a friend of his that I just do not have the imagination to consider in the same way? And do I bring that before God and ask God to reshape and reform my imagination so that I might include in the circle of friends those who Jesus would include. I mean, imagine if we were a church who operated like a family of friends. We were so committed to one another. There's a saying that that I've heard somebody say about the wideness of God's mercy, that the mercy of God is so wide and includes so many And that what it looks like to bear witness to Jesus is to bear witness to that wideness, that inclusivity, that bringing in those I just want to keep out. But as we look at Romans 12, as we look at John 15, there is is a different vision that we are to go after as God's people. Somebody says this, friendship is something that creates equality and mutuality. It's not a reward for finding equality 
or a way of intensifying existing mutuality. So what does that mean? Is that friendship actually creates this sense of equality and mutuality. When often we think, oh, friendship comes by, by, by way of already finding equality and mutuality. No, friendship is the beginning that makes possible these other ways of seeing one another. Now back to Romans 12. It says this in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I really sense this idea of Christian friendship, of spiritual friendship here in Romans 12. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And here's the verse that has arrested my attention all week. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. And persevere in prayer. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in in prayer. And this is what I would like to suggest are the textures of, of spiritual friendship. Rejoicing in hope, being patient in suffering, and being fervent in prayer, devoted to prayer, being faithful in prayer. So first, rejoicing in hope. What does it look like for us to be committed together to rejoicing in hope, to actually being attentive to the things, to the presence of God, to the activity of God, that we rejoice in the hope that we have? We keep saying since Easter that we are an Easter people, that we have hope in Jesus. And that hope isn't just then, but it breaks into the present. What does it look like for us to hope now in the present? A way of actually maybe doing this is to ask each other, friends, people, are the ways that they sense God at work in their life, where have they seen the presence of God in their life? How have they experienced the holy in their life. I had a conversation with friends, Christian friends this week, where we asked each other this question. How have you experienced or been surprised by the holiness of God in your life? And it was remarkable to hear what people had to say. But it was also fascinating because there's a certain vulnerability in sharing the hope that you have or how you've experienced that hope. It was not easy. Because what you might experience or see as something as profound to you as God's activity in your life. There's a fear of it perhaps being rejected or not accepted or not received. But if we are people who rejoice in hope, these are things we need to be talking about. These are things we need to be sharing with one another. When was the last time you asked a friend, what is God up to in your life? How do you sense God at work? What is he doing? How is he challenging you? How do you feel encouraged? Do these mark your friendships, in particular friendships formed around Jesus, these should not be surprising conversations. They should not feel awkward. They should feel so normal. But I think there's often an absence of this in the church, in my life too, that makes it then feel strange and almost forced if we're going to engage these types of conversations. But we, as a community formed around Jesus, are called to rejoice in hope. I've heard it said that joy has a maintenance contract which means to be people marked by joy means that we're actually actively looking for reasons to have joy. And we are naming the reasons and the ways to have joy. And we are sharing with one another why we have joy. You begin to see the presence of God when you look for the presence of God and when you share the ways that you've encountered and experienced the presence of God. So that's the first thing, rejoice in hope. Second thing, be patient in suffering. 
See, part of our friendships formed around Christ means that we help one another persevere in the present. Persevere in our moments where we find ourselves at, at, at a loss or incapable of moving forward. That we're not just people marked by hope, but we're marked by a, a real commitment to being with each other even in the sorrow and the grief. Be patient in suffering. Henry Nouwen says this, when we honestly ask ourselves which persons in our lives mean the most to us, we often find it as those who, instead of, instead of giving much advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a gentle and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the reality of our powerlessness, that is the friend who cares. So we, as God's people, as a community formed around Jesus, as living into the friendship that Christ makes possible, means that we are people who are with one another in all of it, in our hope, in our joy, in our pain, and in our suffering, that together we are near and committed to being with one another and that we can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not fixing, not healing. Again, to be patient in suffering. So the texture of spiritual friendship, rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering and then also persevere in prayer. Be faithful in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. How some of the other translations um, suggest this is, this is to be said. But I guess here's a question. Is it common for you to pray with your friends? Is it common for you to pray with your friends in, a, in this community, in a community formed around Jesus? Praying together should not feel weird because praying is what we do as Christians. We, we believe that God hears us. We believe that God wants to know us. And so to pray to God should not be strange. And then to have relationships where praying takes place should not be weird. But as I think about rejoicing in hope, being patient in suffering, and being fervent in prayer, I think, wow, like, how much does that mark my own friendships, my own relationships? Do I take risks in actually pressing into some of these, these different postures, these different textures of what, of what a Christian friendship might entail? But again, it might feel awkward because it's not something we do. If praying feels awkward in our friendships, it means we need to start doing it. And we need to start committing to it. And it should be something like if we talk and we hear something and somebody then says to you, oh, can I pray for you? Or can I pray with you? Or you would feel the boldness to be able to say that in a moment when you hear something. That should be what we do. That should, like, what does it look like to belong together? Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. So where to start with praying for somebody? What, what types of prayers should we be praying? What does it look like to pray together? You're like, that sounds awesome. I want to do it, but I don't even know where to go. And so maybe you don't feel like you're good at praying, which I get. I understand. So I'm just going to offer you different prayers from Scripture that you might pray. So there's the Jesus prayer, right? The Lord's prayer in Matthew 6. That would be a place I'd suggest to start if you want to and start including the practice of prayer in your friendships. Also, the Apostle Paul has some wonderful prayers in Ephesians. I mean, in all of his letters, but when I think about what am I going to be praying for my friends, Ephesians often is where I go. Ephesians 1 
17 through 20, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, where Paul is constantly asking that people he's writing to, that their hearts would be open to God in a new way, that they would understand the height and breadth and width and length of God's love. These are the things we should be praying for as we engage our friendships with each other. So again, I, I, I want to suggest that as we think about what does it look like to be together again, I want to challenge us to think of this, think of one another as a family of friends. And as you think about your own friendships, what does it look like to start including or pressing into some of these things with your friends formed around Jesus? Now, I also think there are some practices to sustain these textures of spiritual friendship, and we're going to be talking about those in the coming weeks, so I'll just briefly mention them now. And these are practices you're going to hear us at Grace talk about a lot um, to maybe inform the way we want to be together. It's, it's the practice of first welcoming. We want to be welcoming. We want to make room for God and others. Next, it's the, pro- it's the practice of listening. We want to be attentive to God and to others. Next is the process of following. We want to give our time to learn from Jesus. And then finally, the practice of going. And this involves the outward dimension of bearing witness to Jesus in our lives. So we want to be a community who welcomes, who listens, who follows, and who goes. That these practices become things that that help to form our belonging together. And again, we're going to be diving into more of these because we sense, we being Beth, I, the staff, and the elders, that, that God has something for us. He's sort of moving us in a direction And that movement is toward this belonging together for the sake of of learning from Jesus how to live and love like Jesus and forming friendships and community marked by belonging and that are actually committed to practices together. And so that's where we're headed. That's where we're going. I encourage you from here to the next week is to consider your friends, consider the ways that you might rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, and be committed to prayer. Thanks be to God. We're going to engage the process of, of, not the process, the practice of communion, of receiving from the host himself, Jesus himself, his body, his blood, and as at the table in these elements. And when we come and receive the elements, and I'm going to encourage you to hold on to them, take them back to your seat. Uh, these are ways that we together remember what God, through Jesus Christ, gave us, which is everything, his very life. He has called us friends, and we know that that can be true because of what he's, he's given. Jesus says that a, friend lays, he, a, a person lays down his life for his friends. And in the practice of communion, we remember that Christ has gathered us as his friends and what he's done for us because he is our friend. So you're, gonna, you, you're not going to be dismissed. I'm technically dismissing you now. In a moment, you're going to stand. I'm going to stand you. You're going to come and receive the, and get the elements. I'm going to encourage you, as you do, to look to, for somebody perhaps behind you in line and to, and to say words to them, the body and blood of Christ given for you. The body and blood of Christ given for you because this is a communal moment. This is something that we practice together as a people, as a community. And I encourage you, those, those of you at home, to be saying that too on the chat. 
the body and blood of Christ given for you. So you can all stand. And as the music begins, you can come forward, you can get the elements and then take them back to your seat. And Natter 12 is going to come up and lead us in communion together.